but a pawn. In all the universe, there is only one being with the power and will to have done this thing. Loki! Hey there, and welcome to Marvel by the Month. My name's Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Bell. Rob, you made it to another episode. This is great. I did. This one was uh, by the skin of my teeth. Oh, yeah? What was going on today? I uh, have to rapidly score some music for an animation I'm working on for work, which is not a bad job. Uh, If you have to do something in the last, you know, in some desperate creative mode that is not going to generate, you know, your best work, but it will be the work that you do. So, um, but it's still that I'm like just plunking on a keyboard and writing oboe parts and stuff it's pretty fun nice so uh (laughs) i'll share it with you at some point um yeah just orchestral work this time not guitar stuff so it's pretty fun but i'm not done and i'm gonna work on the weekend on it and stuff like that so yeah just barely reading the comics to get uh uh, and get my panel of the month figured out um so not not too different than my usual mode it must be such a burden for you to be so creatively talented in so many different ways uh my heart really bleeds for you thanks (laughs) yeah i guess that yeah just uh you know it's so rough being so creative and stuff man (laughs) uh yeah no uh my day was pretty good um you know i had a lot of prep work um getting stuff ready for the podcast um and of course uh, i am a homeschooling parent now so that was fun but my kid's in first grade and they're having him write like basically an essay about like expressing an opinion and how to support it which seems a little ambitious for seven years old but uh he wrote about cats he knows what he likes so I, i think it's never too soon to start on critical thinking but i I, but when you say seven, I do think it might be too soon to start on critical thinking. Yes. So, yeah. 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 Um, you know, and plus he's a, you know, blonde haired, blue eyed white boy. He's not going to have any trouble expressing his opinion constantly for the rest of his life. I don't know if that's a skill we really need to teach him right now. Uh, <laughs> the tables might turn by the time he gets <laughs> to be an adult. Maybe. Things are getting shaken up right now. Yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> something cool that did happen uh, in addition to all that is that, uh, and I swear this with, with no prompting, um, unsolicited, he just walked into uh, my studio where I keep all of my graphic novels. Uh, and of his own volition, uh, he just pulled down a volume of Jack Kirby's Fourth World Omnibus and started flipping through it. So, uh, yeah, that was a pretty good day. Well, uh, we have an episode to do, um, and uh, in the spirit of physically distancing but not socially distancing, uh, we have invited a friend of ours uh, onto the podcast. Let me lay the groundwork here. He is my chiropractor. He has put me back together um, several times after I've done things to mess myself up. He's the man who officiated my wedding. He is the godfather to my aforementioned child. And he's the man who gave my wife's grandmother the chili recipe that won her church's (laughs) chili cook-off. Dr. Dave Russ is on the line with us. Hey, Dave. Hey, Hey, Brian. (laughs) How are you doing? Hey, Rob. Uh, Awesome. Wow, that is... That is quite an introduction. All of those things are true. Uh, but I would also add, there have been a couple of times that I have failed to put you back together. Well, I, I, I'm a, you know, I, I, I work overtime on making your job harder. So uh, I don't think yeah. it well, has anything to do with your skills. <laughs> no, well done. Well done. Yep. Well, I'm really glad to be here. I really appreciate you guys inviting me on. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're delighted to have you. Um, uh, so, you know, one of the reasons that we wanted to bring you on is that, you know, I know uh, early on in the podcast, you were uh, you checked it out and you were pretty excited about it. And you said it was bringing back some memories for you about um, some of the Marvel comics you read when you were a kid. Um, so let's let's just kind of dive into that a little bit. Like, what were some of your uh, early memories of of Marvel comics um, and some well, of your favorites? It all started when I was in third grade. And I, my teacher, uh, her name was actually Mrs. Cartoon, <laughs> Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Carol Cartoon. Wow. I thought and I could so, take a drink of water while you were talking, uh, but that was a mistake. I, <laughs> I spit take on my little, you know, um, pop, pop protector there. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. I'm sorry if I caused any equipment damage with that, but it happens to be true. It's worth and, it. And, uh, uh, the, I remember the first day of school, um, this, this boy walks in and he's, he's new to the school. And he's wearing a three-piece suit because his mother thought that would make him make a good impression on his classmates. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's the new boy. Uh, so me being who I am, I befriended 
this boy in the three-piece suit, and his name was Demetrius, and he was already into comics. And so he became my best friend, and one of the things that we did together for the three or four years that we were best buds, would uh, we would go to the stationery store that was around the corner from his house, and we would buy Marvel comics, and we would take them back to his house, and we would read them, and then I would read the one that he bought, and he would read the one that I bought, and we would talk about the stories, and we would share our favorite panels, kind of just like you guys are doing. In the very characteristic of me is whenever I get into something, I like really get into it. I really, <laughs> and so we dug in and uh, we were really super into Marvel comics for about three or four years, which is a pretty long time to have one person as your best friend when you're seven, eight, nine years old. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so we were, uh, we were big fans of Thor and the Hulk. Iron Man, the Avengers, the X-Men. Uh, and we never really did get into DC Comics. I, I don't really remember what it was about DC Comics, but they just didn't seem as good to our brains at mm. the time. Yeah, yeah. It's really funny. Like, uh, not that I ever went into my comics fandom, you know, deciding that I was going to only root for one team. But for whatever reason, early on, I got bit by the Marvel bug and that's the thing that, you know, I, I've just, I don't know, maybe it's like, this is, you know, it's the first stuff you discover. And so you remain nostalgic and attached to it, you know, going forward. But um, yeah, that's, I've always been a Marvel guy myself. I think I maybe was exposed to Superman and Batman before I read any Marvel, but, and I still read DC comics and do <laughs> my whole life, mm -hmm. but, uh, but Marvel definitely was the big thing and x-men i for me was what brought me to them just uh especially as it got into the 80s and the and wolverine um i mean that's before the 80s but when he was really hitting his stride as sort of the anti-hero um that was my jam i felt like for me i, I could really relate to the hulk the split personality the the inner rage that would come out and be really destructive that you know i think a lot of boys have that mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. and are afraid of getting really angry and what happens if I really hurt somebody or something like that. And like the nobility of Thor. And there was also right around that third grade year that we started learning about Norse mythology in school. And then it's like, Oh, here's Thor. Here's Odin. It's Asgard. It's, it's the bridge. It's every, you know, it's all these things I learned about in school, but on the page telling a, an exciting adventurous story about beating bad guys. So, yeah. 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 It was awesome. Did they cover uh, the absorbing man in school or was that something? You had to <laughs> <suss out? laughs> yeah, no, I think we skipped that part. Yeah. But, you know, this, yeah. this, these issues, which were 1964, you know, that's way before my time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was in third grade in 1977, but um, there was uh, I don't remember exactly where I got it, but, you have this book, Brian, and we, we talked about this recently. It's called Origins of Marvel Comics. Yes. And it's like a, a large print, a large format paperback book that has all of the origin stories of Fantastic Four, Doctor Strange, Iron Man, all those guys, the Hulk. And it was just fantastic. And it was one of the best Christmas presents I ever got. And I should say that my, my old friend, Demetrius, I saw him at my last high school reunion, my 35th high school reunion. And he still collects comics and he still has every comic he ever bought wow. going back to about 1976 in plastic sleeves, totally organized, alphabetized catalog, like perfect. That's amazing. Wow. It is amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. Yeah. I, I think there is something about the comics fandom that definitely appeals to people who have that that desire for precision and organization. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this as I'm sitting in front of literally a wall of books that are alphabetized by authors. So yeah, I mean, I, sometimes I think that I got into comics just so I'd have something to organize. <laughs> yeah. Your, your shelf is so terrifyingly organized. Um, I, I did work in a library in college and I still barely, I alphabetize like a couple shelves and I'm like the rest of these are on their own and that's <laughs> that's how I do it. 
All right. Well, uh, gentlemen, let's go ahead and get this thing rolling. Um, and uh, let's start off, as we always do, with a little bit of historical context. Um, so all the issues that we read for this episode hit the stands in October of 1965. Um, if you are looking for them in the Marvel Unlimited app um, or tracking down the back issues, um, you're going to find that they are cover dated December 65 and January 66, because comics is weird. Um, but here is a taste of uh, what was happening in the world in October 1965. Rob, would you like to start us off? I sure would. So in in something that would eventually lead to some uh, great Dead Kennedy song, uh, on the 4th of October 1965, the United States began bombing the neutral nation of Cambodia to attack Viet Cong guerrillas who crossed the border from South Vietnam. By August 15th, 1973, the United States would drop 2,756,941 tons of bombs on, that's tons of bombs on Cambodia yeah. and 230,516 separate missions. So Cambodia was destabilized, to say the least. Yeah, that's one way to put it. In happier news for the uh, the great sport of Canadian ice hockey, uh, on October 5th, 1965, future NHL Hall of Famers Mario Lemieux and Patrick Roy were both born in Montreal and Quebec City on the same day, respectively. Whoa. Um, yeah. So uh, good day for uh, Quebec and for hockey in general. <laughs> well, on the 7th, the Soviet Lunik 7 lunar probe landed on the moon on target, but with such force that it was destroyed. It just overshot the landing. Uh, Oops. The, the, the TASS news agency said the next day that the craft, quote, reached the surface of the moon at 1.08 a.m. in the area of the Ocean of Storms west of Kepler Crater. Some operations, however, were not carried out in accordance with the program and need additional development, which is a nice <laughs> way to say it totally crashed. <laughs> additional development as in, we need a new spaceship. Yes. Yeah, that one's gone. <laughs> we need to do yeah. everything. Uh, man, uh, on the 15th of October, uh, 1965, the Vatican Ecumenical Council of Bishops voted uh, 1,763 to 250 to accept a declaration stating that the Jewish race could not be blamed for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. An AP report commented that, quote, probably no document had aroused so much controversy at the four-year-old council. Never before has any general council in 20 centuries of Catholicism taken such positive stands on the Jewish and other non-Christian religions. Um, so, yeah, you know, took them until 1965, but they finally decided, you know what? We probably have to stop grinding this axe. So, yeah, <laughs> good job, Catholic Church. <laughs> They should talk to maybe Mel Gibson a little bit <laughs> on the 16th <laughs> of October at Longshoreman's Hall in San Francisco. The first psychedelic rock concert billed as, quote, a tribute to Dr. Strange was performed headlined by Jefferson Airplane. So we talked a little bit about how Ditko was like Steve Ditko was a big influence on like the early psychedelic movement. Um, and his art was something that, you know, there was a lot of reference to it in a lot of, you know, early like blacklight poster type stuff. The fact that they called, you know, the first psychedelic rock concert, they built it with a name that was taken from one of his characters. Um, you know, that just goes to show how influential he really was. Yeah. Even if he wasn't doing the drugs. Yeah. He was missing out. Yep. I mean, he could be missing out. I don't know, kids. Stay in school. <laughs> You mean stay home, Rob, stay home. <laughs> oh, yeah, stay home. There stay, is no school. Stay in homeschool, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Don't drop out of homeschool. Yeah. It's all so confusing now. I know. <laughs> uh, let's see. On the 18th of uh, October 1965, 22-year-old David J. Miller of Syracuse, New York, became the first person to be arrested under a new federal law that made defacement of a selective service information card punishable as a crime. On the 30th, what we call Devil's Night now of October in New York City, 25,000 people marched down Fifth Avenue in support of President Johnson and the Vietnam War. Uh, demonstrations of support took place in other locations in the United States as well. The New York March was sponsored by the New York City Council, the American Legion, and the Veterans of Foreign Wars. So still a fair, fair show of support 
um, yeah. for a, a war that was rapidly becoming unpopular. Yeah. If so, you know, if you think that um, people protesting in favor of strange positions uh, is, is something that is just a recent phenomenon. <laughs> uh, some, <laughs> it's not. Some of these things don't age super well. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard the expression aged like milk. Yeah. That aged like milk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the and the Beatles Beatles by the month they were just um, finishing up recording Rubber Soul. In oh, okay. October. Yeah, I, I noticed they were suspiciously silent this month, and I was wondering what they were up to. But I also knew that you would know. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's what was going on uh, in October of 1965. We're going to go ahead and take our first break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Fantastic Four and the Inhumans right here on Marvel by the Month. <laughs> Okay, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, it's time to talk about Fantastic Four, gentlemen. Um, so uh, this month's issue is Fantastic Four, number 46, uh, written by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby, inked by Joe Sinnott. The name of the story is Those Who Would Destroy Us. Uh, so this is the third part of the four and a half sort of issue story um, that introduces the Inhumans. Um, in the first part of it, um, we saw Gorgon pursue Medusa, who is a former member of the Frightful Four, uh, with the intention of bringing her back to her people. Uh, in the second part, we were introduced to the rest of this group of Inhumans who have been hiding out in a secret underground residence in New York City. Uh, in the very last panel of that last issue, we finally met Black Bolt, who all the Inhumans seem to revere. So, uh, Dave, were you aware of the Inhumans as characters before you uh, got into this issue? No, this was my first introduction to the Inhumans. Oh, wow. What'd you think? I thought it was interesting. They were like a a parallel, almost like a mirror image of the Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was really actually intrigued by the fact that they seemed to be captives and only sort of fighting for their freedom. And the Fantastic Four were just kind of in their way. And I, I liked how the Fantastic Four and especially um, uh, Mr. Fantastic was like, hey, you know, we should be careful and not hurt these people. We don't actually really know what their problem is. Like, we might actually be in the wrong here. So I, I really liked it. And uh, it was <laughs> it was some nutty stuff in here. But um, for the most part, I thought I thought it was a really good story and a really good fight. And I was curious as to like where they came from and what their origin was. But yeah, I just, uh, I hadn't heard of them before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all that stuff is kind of up in the air at this point. We know that they're hiding out in New York. We're not quite sure why. Um, we get a little bit of backstory, but that's pretty much it. So issue number 46, uh, starts off, uh, approximately one second after the last issue ended. Um, the fight between the fantastic four and the inhumans, uh, has just escalated with black bolts arrival and he shows up and he comes in swinging the first thing that he does is, as Reed says, he managed to stagger the thing with one blow. And Black Bolt basically holds the FF at bay almost single-handed, uh, and he's completely silent while he's doing it. Yeah, that keeps freaking Ben out. He's just constantly like, it seems pretty weird to fight somebody who never says anything. But, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing because he says something more colorful, of course, yes. being Ben Grimm. Um, but it, it is like he comments on it several times, which is... It, because you wouldn't necessarily realize it as a reader, you know, you're just sort of following the action. So it's really nice that he does because it's a uh, weird, you just understand that he's grappling with somebody who's saying nothing as he punches the thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Ben is also a guy who never stops talking when he's fighting. So <laughs> of course that would be very strange to him. They kind of all just sort of tend to narrate their fight. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. like, now I'm going to, you know, bring out my positron ray enhancer and shoot you in the knee, right? And I just thought it's not weird that Black Bolt isn't talking while he's fighting. Like this whole meta thing with the thing talking about how weird it was that Black Bolt was quiet while he fought. I was like, well, he's conserving energy. He's kind of doing the thing you're supposed to do when you're fighting, <laughs> which is not tell the other guy what you're about to do. Yeah, it's more it's more like a martial arts movie where there's just people sort of doing that you know they're fighting that they're very busy right now no time for exposition 
um so this fight is going on uh you know there's buildings and bodies being thrown everywhere um and during the battle uh reed discovers that triton uh has a secret triton is the scaly green guy uh who's the inhuman um and uh reed figures out that he's wearing a water-filled suit because he needs water to breathe and uh when reed shreds that thing uh triton needs to dive into the river to survive uh and then once he does uh he sees someone coming toward him and he's afraid but we get a cut away from triton so we don't see what happens at that point here's this cool panel on this page uh where uh mrs fantastic wants to stop triton from jumping into the water and capture him and Mr. Fantastic's like, no, you know, we, we, that would be murder. And they haven't done anything wrong that we know of. Their actions seemed governed by a dread fear, a fear of someone called the Seeker. Somehow I feel the Seeker must be the key to this uncanny riddle. And that's when we lose Triton's trail. Yeah. And, and what a good uh, transition that is, because uh, meanwhile, the aforementioned Seeker uh, is breaking into the Baxter building uh, with his private army. Um, he's got something called an intercity scanner uh, that saw them bring uh, Dragon Man into their headquarters. Dragon Man is, of course, a man-shaped dragon. Uh, <laughs> Not exactly man-shaped, but yeah. <laughs> uh, and so uh, the se- the Seeker, whoever this is, uh, he mistakenly assumes that Dragon Man must be an inhuman uh, because of his appearance. Um, so they slap some super cuffs on him, they blow a hole in the wall, and they load him into their airship outside. I do like how all the Inhumans are really worried about the Seeker. And when you see him, he's like a, he looks like he's got like a slightly flamboyant marching band uniform on. <laughs> um, like I, I pretty much rocked this thing in high school. Um, uh, it was just blue and gold instead of red and purple. But yeah, it's just a very, I'm like, I would not be scared of that guy. And he's just got some fa- bold facial hair, sort of machete kind of stuff going on (laughs) even Um, his main even his main weapon his distorter gun is kind of shaped like a baton it is (laughs) he could totally be a majorette so then we cut back to the ff they're still fighting the inhumans um and it's pretty even um they're going back and forth uh until crystal uh discovers that triton is missing um so they put two and two together pretty quickly they realize that this guy the seeker who has been seeking them uh, probably found him. Um, they are terrified of the Seeker. They don't even think Black Bolt could stop him. So they just decide, like, look, we can't waste any more time on this. Um, we need to go and find Triton. So the Torch tries to pursue the fleeing Inhumans, uh, but Lockjaw uh, teleports away with them. Yeah, Lockjaw introducing that, the power, not only the power of teleportation that he has, but... Um, also able to just like hold a steel girder and push it against the thing and keep him in place. So very strong. Like I always forget that. I always think of him as just sort of the, the team's teleporter. Well, Gorgon's power apparently is stomping really hard on the ground. <laughs> that is his power. <laughs> That's his power. That's it. Yeah. He stomps hard. That's his power. He stomps that is hard. His power. Yep. Okay. <laughs> pretty awesome. It works. <laughs> he totally takes Mr. And Mrs. Fantastic out of the fight. Yeah. For like four pages. He's oh yeah. Stomping. Also Lockjaw is, is one of the, the, first clues that we get that the inhumans can't be all bad because they've got a dog so you know yeah yeah. um, so let's see the ff uh the inhumans have taken off the ff return to their headquarters uh they find a hole in the wall and dragon man's missing at first they think he just fled um then they look at their security tapes they see the seeker was responsible uh they track down the seeker thanks to uh some gadget that reed has whipped up because that's how he rolls um and he's got triton imprisoned in his headquarters um and the ff shows up uh the seeker tells him they can have dragon man um since he's not an inhuman um and then he tells them that his mission is to return uh escaped inhumans to something called the great refuge so we have seen the inhumans now this is the third issue they've appeared and we still don't really know what they're all about so reed starts asking like who are the inhumans and the seeker starts to to share some knowledge about them um, they're a highly advanced society that mastered genetic manipulation while early humans were still figuring out stone tools. They artificially evolved themselves to acquire superpowers, but then humans began to fear and hate them and attack them on sight. So the Inhumans built this great refuge to protect themselves, uh, and the Inhumans who the FF met 
are one of the oldest in human families, so the Seeker is especially interested in getting them back to the refuge, which they've left for a reason that he has not told us about yet. Maybe to get more cigarettes, because yeah. apparently in this panel he's lighting a cigarette while he tells the story. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. is, that, is that what's happening? Am I, am I seeing that right? I think so, yeah. he's uh, And he's got... Um... Uh, what appears to be not too fancy of a lighter for somebody who comes from an immortal alien space powered people. I mean, I, he says they, uh, uh, do you presume to think that humans are the only intelligent life earth has spawned? So, you know, they were sharing apparently for a very, very long time. So this is where I started to go when I read these in annuals, like how old are these guys? Yeah. Uh, then it starts to get this sort of godlike pantheon thing going on. Uh, just with these couple hints that get dropped here. Something that Jack Kirby winds up getting known for throughout his career, and this is one of the first times that he really does it, um, which is, you know, creating this, like you said, Rob, a, a pantheon of characters. Um, you know, eventually he winds up doing the New Gods, which is literally a pantheon. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he does this with, you know, with Thor drawing from Norse mythology. Um, he does it here um, with the Inhumans. He'll do it again for Marvel in the 70s with uh, the Eternals. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is this is very Kirby. Um, he's really starting to to hit his stride here and, and zero in on, you know, what he's going to be contributing to comics for the next 30, 40 years. Just knowing so much about the Inhumans now, it's really interesting to see them as they're created and revealed like so many things mm -hmm. that, that we do on this podcast. I'm like, we really dive in, we get to take the time and watch this thing unfold. It's not like you just see a one-off issue of the origin of the inhumans. Right. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It's so interesting to see like, yeah, you, you start with Medusa and then you, you see uh Gorgon who stomps, you know, you, then you slowly see each of these characters and their weird powers and then find out they've been around for a very long time. It's just super cool. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so you get the feeling Reed could talk to the Seeker about this forever. Um, and the Seeker seems pretty chatty about it. Um, but they don't have a, a chance to continue with all this exposition uh, because Dragon Man uh, is waking up um, and he's not happy. Um, he. Uh, busts out of his restraints he smashes triton's water globe prison as he escapes um and now uh the fantastic four have to deal with the seeker uh the inhumans and a rampaging dragon man who is about to take out his frustrations on the city and that's where the issue ends to be continued true believers cool also when triton's laying on the floor after his water globe smashes he says i die free so just a few panels before it ends it's like did did a human just die? Spoiler: uh, Triton will be just fine. I don't want I don't want to leave. <sighs> yeah, I don't want to leave anyone you know in a state of anxiety. Um, these are not the times for that. But uh, yeah, so that's that's Fantastic Four forty six. Um, this comes. It doesn't quite conclude next issue because there's still a couple things to wrap up in the following issue. But there's just there's a ton of story um, in this issue specifically, but also just I mean. Stan and Jack are just cramming everything they can into Fantastic Four at this point. It's really cool to watch, um, and it moves quick, too. Like, these 20 pages, I don't know about you guys, but it felt like they just flew by when I was looking at them. That story, I mean, I, I give them a lot of credit. There, there was moral ambiguity in that story. Yeah, not bad for right? 1965. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Yeah, you know, it's it, a little bit of weirdness about, like, we're a superior race and stuff like well, that. Well, there's, that yeah. probably <laughs> wouldn't want to do today. But... Um, <laughs> Still, it was like, well, wait a minute. Who's who's the good guy here? Who's the bad guy? Yeah. Like what, you know, what what's he trying? You know, what is what is the seeker trying to do? He's trying to preserve his way of life that he's always known. Yep. And he, he just wants his his people to stay hidden and out of trouble. Yep. And uh, you may not agree with his methods and you know that what the inhumans want. They just they just want to do their own thing. And if they have to fight the Fantastic Four to get there, that's what they're going to do. It's like, okay, that's that's not quite so simple, not not quite so cut and dry. Yeah. yeah so, I like that. When you describe it that way, it sounds a little bit more like uh you know, like they're just trying to like they're the they're trying to break free of the system man and be themselves and find themselves. And it's, <laughs> it seems very right right before this is really breaking in the sixties, so it's right at the same time. It's mm -hmm. true. Yeah, and I think they're starting to hit a better stride of stan not 
letting a picture tell a thousand words and then just putting, you know, 500 on it. Because um, <laughs> uh, as we started it, and, and it, many of these are still that way, it's just so dense. If you're a modern comics reader, it it is, you expect a comic to take whatever, you know, 10, 15 minutes if you're really taking some time gazing at the, you know, 20 some pages. Uh, this is there is a lot of actual reading to be done in, in these early Marvel comics. Yep. And, and I feel like it's starting to balance. I can feel it shift a little bit in, in the Dr. Strange stories um, where there's just stands, letting it breathe, letting people make the connection in their head without just explaining the scene every time. But yep. there are times where stands does definitely need to write a lot in order to fill in for where the artist did not help the story you know it just jumps along in some way that you would not be able to track in any way or yeah. catch up with and he will set that up and he's masterful at that well it really sounds like you are uh leading us to a transition uh, into talking about this month's daredevil so um <laughs> so let's go ahead uh and take a break here um and then when we come back uh how about you walk us through that i will do that guaranteed all right stay tuned everybody we'll be right back here on marvel by the month Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, let's get into Daredevil versus the Organizer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is—I don't know what was going on with Stan, but it, we had—we've had a couple extremely bland villain names lately. We've, we've got the Master Planner, we've got the Organizer. Um, we had Cat Burglar with uh, caps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and a Cat Burglar named Cat Burglar. I was like, was the organizer going to come in and alphabetize my record collection? (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, So we're going to cover Daredevil number 10, which was written and drawn by Wally Wood, layouts by Bob Powell, which was called While the City Sleeps, and Daredevil number 11, written by Stan Lee. So you notice I said written and drawn by Wally Wood on the other one. So written by Stan Lee, who makes a big point about picking up Wally Wood's story, uh, and with art by Bob Powell with Wally Wood inking it. So it's just mixing everything up. And this one's called A Time to Unmask. Which now is not a time to unmask people. Yeah, definitely stay masked when you're around anyone ever. So uh, Dave, uh, Daredevil, what do you know about Daredevil coming into this? Very little. Uh, I watched a few of the episodes of the recent TV show. Uh, I thought it was really well done. I kind of had a shade of a memory of Daredevil from when I was a kid, but he was never a character that I really got into. I knew he was a lawyer in his, you know, his alter ego. I knew he was blind from childhood. And I knew that uh, his blindness had caused his other senses to exponentially increase in their sensitivity so he had like that spidey sense where you know he could tell what was happening around him even though he couldn't see that was all that i knew well and obviously extremely agile and strong that's pretty solid that's the uh you know whatever the you know baseball card version of um (laughs) of what you would you what you need to know for daredevil to keep your comic book geek cred uh, that's daredevil's elevator pitch yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so what it, before we get into the total recap what did you think of daredevil the story overall well um you know <laughs> i i, I <laughs> it was a political story i mean that's yep. that's what it was it was a story of political corruption um that i thought was really quite relevant to the times that we're living in today and um i I, I don't want to spoil the end, but there, you know, sort of some abruptness to his um, departure at the end of the story. <laughs> yes, and yeah. I, I didn't seem quite justified to me, but you know, whatever relationships are what they are, uh, and this whole undercurrent of unspoken love with the secretary, um, which I thought was probably didn't seem weird to me at all when I read about it in fourth grade. But as an adult, <laughs> like you know, maybe you guys need to talk about your feelings a little bit. You probably avoid a lot of this confusion and heartache. You might find out that your secretary maybe has feelings for you too. Um, so 
<laughs> yeah, like, I, okay. You, you've hit on something that happens a lot in these comics. The, the work <laughs> uh, relationships are often the romantic relationships or interests as well. So it's in, in many cases. So it's just awkward. Um, it's like I have all this crazy superpower and I'm super agile and I'm super strong and I fight crime, but I can't tell this girl that I like her because right. that would be super scary. <laughs> <laughs> Communication problems. So this is the, the first in the first two part story. Wally Wood wrote that part. As I mentioned, Stan wrote the second issue. And, and then this one, as, as you say, Dave is a real political thriller, uh, 1960s Marvel style. So the, the first issue, which came out two months earlier, set up the story. Foggy Nelson had been approached by the reform party to run for district attorney of New York city. Not to be confused with the reform party that H. Ross Perot also started in New York 30 years after this story. When I was reading this, I'm like, wait, because they're talking about Foggy being drafted by the reform party. I'm like, was the reform party a thing in the 60s? Like, is this like extremely ripped from the headlines? And then I realized it's like, oh, no, that like Perot created the reform party. That wasn't something that existed that he just wound up becoming a part of. Um, yeah. Or and, or he ripped it off from Stan Lee. I mean, well, that's or a, Wally Wood. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing is like, <laughs> did did Perot also just like get the idea for his political party from this Daredevil comic book? Because <laughs> that might also explain some things about, you know, how that went. But yeah. So the the other reform party candidates. Um, in this comic include Abner Jonas, who's running for mayor, Bernard Harris, who's running for borough president, and Milton Monroe, who's running for assemblyman. He, there's a bunch of people who've been approached and are all running for different uh, positions for this new crazy party, not, not affiliated with Ross Perot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but a mysterious hooded figure known only as the organizer seems determined <laughs> to stop the party before the election. Um, he's re- recruited for also very specific, just spot on named costume lackeys to execute his plan. We have Catman, who dresses like a cat and does cat things. Frogman, who dresses like a frog and does frog things. Birdman, who <laughs> I'm sure you get the point. And, uh, yeah. and Ape Man, who yeah. does ape stuff. Uh, so they, they try to and fail to blow up a reform party boat, uh, that foggy, there's a party on the boat, um, that foggy Matt Murdoch and Karen page are attending. I just got confused by saying reform party boat party. Um, <laughs> yes. So, so foggy Matt Murdoch and Karen page are attending this party. Uh, Daredevil winds up getting tricked into helping the organizers men crack a safe, which makes him look like an accomplice. It's, so finally the organizers men attack the reform party at a shindig at bernard harris's penthouse uh they kidnap foggy's high school sweetheart deborah harris uh different deborah harris um daredevil pursues them and learns that she is part of the gang and they plan on blackmailing foggy into doing their bidding so there's an awful lot of setup for the story if you're confused welcome to the club yeah uh it's political intrigue. I mean, it's got to be confusing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, <laughs> That's you, true. you got four guys in animal suits. You got to give each one of them their time to shine. So, so Daredevil Eleven opens with Daredevil fending off a sneak attack from Birdman. Um, he rescues Debbie Harris and follows her as she leaves, hoping she leads him to the organizer. I'm just going to keep saying it like that so it sounds cooler. <laughs> um, but she just goes home and calls Foggy, who is falling for her hook, line, and sinker. As Daredevil changes back into Matt Murdock, he decides not to tell Foggy about Debbie, uh, continuing his unbroken streak of constantly gaslighting his best friend. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. Man, what a weird relationship. Foggy is just like, I feel so bad for Foggy in this story because, you know, especially as we find out by the end, I think every single other character in this story is just like using him or withholding information from him or just playing him for a fool. Um, it's, it's crazy. Like he has zero agency in the entire thing. And like the moments where he actually tries to follow through on something he thinks is the right thing to do or on an impulse that he has, he turns out to be wrong. Uh, and he turns out to be wrong because 
other people are not sharing information with him. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Which is pretty much his life in Daredevil. Um, uh, meanwhile, at police headquarters, the captured cat man is spilling the beans on the organizer. I mean, the organizers plan <laughs> to take over the city by taking control of the reform party. Um, so he's just, you know, singing like yep. a canary. Um, no, that would be Birdman. <laughs> he's singing like a cat. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Matt tries to talk Foggy out of running for office, which causes Foggy to accuse Matt of jealousy. Matt and Foggy agree to set a trap for the organizer. They gather the Reform Party candidates together and tell them they have evidence of the organizer's identity in their office safe. So, surprise, their offices wind up ransacked a few hours later, and Foggy has to admit that Matt was right. And again, you know, poor Foggy. Like, the one time he's like, no, I'm going to stand up for myself. And Matt's like, well, you know, I know things about the organizer that you don't because I'm Daredevil. Um, and also he, he, like Matt uses his radar sense. He hears their offices being broken into while he's in the hallway with, uh, Karen and Foggy and he just lets it happen and then goes in after the burglars have left. Um, and he's like, well, guess I was right again, Foggy. Man, what a sanctimonious guy. Uh, yeah. Gee, Foggy, I really wish you would have acted on that information that I didn't give you. <laughs> Which is pretty much the story of Foggy's life. Yeah. Yep. I mean, with a name like Foggy, like you're just, you're going to be in the dark. I'm sorry. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> Are you just getting that? <laughs> wow, Foggy's just blundering around, blinder than his blind best friend. Oh, oh, man. I know. Yeah. Poor Foggy. It is the blind leading the hazy. Um, <laughs> blind misleading the blind. <laughs> Daredevil knows what's going on, but all he can say is like, gee, Foggy, maybe you shouldn't run for DA. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, then we get this whole subplot that goes almost nowhere where Daredevil beats up Frogman and switches costumes with him. And <laughs> runs around in the frogman costume. Uh, the whole point was to give the police, and he puts the frogman in the daredevil costume too for just some fun dress up time. Um, <laughs> the whole point was to give the police access to the camera and microphone in frogman's suit. So police patch the signal through to a TV station. So everybody's um, getting the feed from the frogman suit that Daredevil is wearing. So the reform party will basically blow itself up. And there's a lot of questionable decision-making here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the plan is basically that Daredevil wants to, he, he wants, he wants, he's basically wearing a wire that's embedded in a frogman suit. And he wants to uh, get the organizer saying, we're using the reform party to take over the city. The police will be aware of that. And then the police say, this is great. We need to share this with the public immediately. So also apparently the police have the ability to patch through a signal to TV stations, which I'm not quite sure how that one worked out. But um, also like that seems like the kind of thing that would cause people to get pretty upset with the police, like to you know, be broadcasting a live feed of a plan to take down a political party to the public. Like, I, I feel like that's maybe not the protocol that you're encouraged to follow if you come across something like this. <laughs> well, I guess they also live in a universe where if the public finds out that a political party is corrupt, it would actually change their voting behavior. <laughs> oh, away from that political party, yeah. Which we don't yeah. really live in that sort of a universe right now. So when I read that, I, I was actually kind of nostalgic for the days <laughs> that I never <Yeah>. experienced. <laughs> Like, yes, although the police can live feed a criminal organization through a frogman suit to the um, networks and they'll run it, um, which is weird. It's still, uh, in a way, not darker than the universe we live in now. So it's a <laughs> weird place. So, okay, back to the story. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What exactly are frogman's powers? He eats flies. He has a long tongue. Like, uh, he can breathe underwater. He's got, exactly? he's got flippers. So yeah, I think good swimming. He, he's good at swimming, for sure. <laughs> okay, he is not uh, super helpful. Yeah, I, I yeah. his uh, his alter ego. I can't I can't remember the name uh, of the character, but it's definitely extremely French. So that's part of it. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, man, they doubled down. Yeah. He's a frog man. Yes, 
So getting we're getting close here. At a press conference at Reform Party headquarters, everyone except Milton Monroe announces they're resigning from the party because they see that this stuff going on on the news. The organizers' men show up and take Abner Jonas hostage, but it's a trick. Daredevil shows up and beats everyone up, just pretty much everyone at the party. Uh, then he reveals that Abner Jonas was the organizer. I mean, the organizer, because they were wearing the same ring, um, which they did make a point in a in the last issue of showing this ring on the guy. But you'd enough of a point that I'm like, that's probably the thing that I need to remember. And I forgot. Yeah, man. Bi-monthly comics. They give you plenty of time to forget the clues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the story wraps up with Foggy sulking about not getting to be district attorney. And, <laughs> and to make matters worse, he neglected their law practice during the campaign. So they have zero clients and the rent is due. They have like the landlord call. And this is where Matt is just like, I'm out. I- I'm bailing. He just all of a sudden he's like, oh, I made up my mind. I'm leaving. I got some money saved up. <laughs> See you, bud. And the way the way that he, he brings that up is they have no clients because Foggy was campaigning instead of working in the office. But then Foggy turns to Matt. He's like, wait, why didn't you spend more time at the office? And Matt's like, got to go. <laughs> got to go. Quitting. I'm quitting. Yeah. <laughs> that is really funny. Yeah. So the the last page is just almost it's almost all thought balloons with each character thinking about the other characters and not actually communicating in any way. Classic daredevil. It's like, you know, I have all these powers. I can hear her heartbeat. If only there was some way that I could know what she was thinking yeah. and feeling. Yeah. If, if only there was a way. It's like, well, you could ask. <laughs> yeah. As an adult who has learned how to communicate quite a bit better, um, I do remember most of my shy young life where I'm like, yeah, you just wouldn't know. There's no way to know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, out of luck. Middle school me is like, there's no way to know what anyone is thinking. You just can't find out. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, I guess we should um, take another quick break and uh, come back with some Thor here on Marvel by the Month. All right, everybody, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Um, It's been a while since we checked in on Thor. Um, Do you guys want to take a look at what he was up to this month? Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So uh, Journey into Mystery 123 was the issue that came out this month. Um, It's the third part of a story um, that started in 121. Um, All the issues were written by Stan Lee, uh, art by Jack Kirby, inked by Vince Coletta. Um, So... Just to recap, because it has been a while um, since we've chatted about Thor, before this story, the events leading up to it, uh, since the last time we talked about him, uh, just as a refresher, um, after losing the trial of the gods to Loki, um, who cheated, obviously, uh, Thor had to recover some magic Norn stones that Loki was using illegally during the challenge. Um, Then he fought the Destroyer, um, which was an automaton that used Odin's power to knock him around for a while. Then he went to Pittsburgh to fix his smashed hammer, um, he headed back to New York to find the office of his alter ego, lame Dr. Blake, abandoned, and nurse Jane Foster's missing. And then uh, Loki used his black magic to reassemble the Absorbing Man from a bunch of atoms that Thor left drifting in space the last time they fought. So Dave, you mentioned that Thor is a character that you read and, and liked uh, in your Marvel Comics reading days when you were a kid, right? Fully, yeah, for sure. And this whole story is very Thor. It's very Thor. It's like he's super haughty. He, he's sort of at the same time disdainful of humans, but he kind of holds their lives sacred as well. Yep. Uh, he doesn't really care what happens to this photographer at all, as long <laughs> as he doesn't take any pictures back with him to the earth. Like, right. He's like, whatever, man, you can come, whatever. Just don't tell anybody. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and we'll get into talking about that photographer in a little bit, because uh, I'm not so sure that I cared about what happened to this guy um, after some of the stuff he pulled, but we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> so um, so in the uh, the issues that led up the first two parts of the story, um, a real brief recap here. 
so in the first issue, uh, Absorbing Man has just shown back up. So Thor and the Absorbing Man have a big old fight in Manhattan. Um, there's some very cool visuals. Um, one of them, one of my favorites was uh, Absorbing Man getting super tall uh, because I guess he can absorb the height of a skyscraper um, in addition to everything else about it. Whatever. It looks awesome. Uh, I, gonna... That reminded me of, do you remember the movie Big? Um, one of the one of the uh, things that are being pitched when Tom Hanks becomes in a sort of toy executive is a, is a transforming building. Yes. Um, <laughs> It's like, (laughs) that's exactly what it looked like to me. Only it looked way cooler in this comic book. So, yeah. 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 And the the absorbing man's position can kind of only be described as boogieing. (laughs) (laughs) He's totally boogieing down. He's the the size of an apartment building. And he's like doing the hustle in the middle of the street. (laughs) There's one guy, one little tiny guy, just like, like everybody's scattering and screaming and police cars are screeching to a halt. And then off to the right, there's just this one guy sort of casually leaning out his window. Like, <laughs> hey, what's going on? <laughs> Close your window, run inside, take shelter. Yeah. Don't you know anything? Be glad you're not in that walking, boogieing building. Yeah. Uh, so during this fight, uh, we learn that Jane Foster uh, is in a strange apartment. Um, it seems like she might be imprisoned by a mysterious hooded man. Uh, he asks her to not let herself be seen. She goes along with it. There's some weird thing going on here that we don't know exactly what the deal is. And then that issue ends on a cliffhanger as a little boy runs into the middle of the battle between Thor and the Absorbing Man. The Absorbing Man uh, hits Thor from behind, knocks him out, and that's the cliffhanger for the first part. Um, so then we get into the second issue. Surprise! Thor wasn't knocked out after all. Uh, he's just stunned, so he's all right. Loki's watching the whole thing from Asgard. He starts to doubt that the Absorbing Man is going to be able to beat Thor. Uh, so Loki transports him to Asgard um, because he wants to use him to conquer the kingdom and rule in Odin's place. Classic Loki, yeah. Yep. Um, before Thor can figure out what happened to the Absorbing Man, he sees Jane Foster um, up in her apartment building there. And uh, the caption says that she caused a gas explosion uh, in order to shatter her (laughs) bulletproof window glass and shout to Thor. Uh, Yeah. So she's suffering from smoke inhalation. Thor uh, gets up there. He turns back into lame Dr. Blake in order to treat her. Uh, At that moment, the hooded man appears. He snaps a photo. He reveals that he's Harris Hobbs, a reporter that Thor encountered the last time he fought the absorbing man. So let's let's just take a moment and count all the reasons this is completely insane. Uh, (laughs) So first of all, kidnapping. Yeah, that's not something they strongly uh, teach in journalism school. I don't, I mean, I think you studied some journalism, didn't you? So I I didn't, but I don't think kidnapping is among uh, the, the competencies that you need to achieve there. No, I mean, I certainly I used to be an entertainment journalist. Uh, Certainly there were interviews uh, that I tried to extend beyond, you know, what my subject (laughs) was interested in, but not to the point of actually like physically restraining them. (laughs) Second, there's bulletproof glass in the window. Like, what? What is what is going on? Uh, and, And third, this is the thing that really tripped me up after the first two obvious insane things. Um So for this guy, for, for this Harris Hobbs to have even come up with this plan, he would have had to know that Thor was Blake, which he didn't know. Like, otherwise, why would Thor have <laughs> turned back into Blake? You know, like, it just doesn't make any they sense. That's a really good point. Yeah, they didn't cover his suspicion. Like, I I somehow came across this to, you know, there was no clue. There was no, normally we would have that in some exposition as to why he decided that he was going that Blake was the person he was after. Um, and then the fourth thing is uh, after uh, Hobbs, you know, confronts lame Dr. Blake, uh, he says, I've got your photo um, of you changing, you know, uh, from Thor. Uh, Blake just lets him go. Like the scene ends and like Blake is in the hospital with Jane Foster, but, you know, didn't try to stop him in any way. So all of that, just none of that makes any sense whatsoever back in asgard loki and the absorbing man are wrecking the joint and it's you know not going well for the asgardians um back on earth uh thor takes hobbs on a terrifying journey through time and space to try to convince him to give up the picks 
Um, Hobbs somehow manages to keep it together. He says he will turn over the photos if Thor takes him to Asgard. So that brings us to Journey into Mystery 123, um, which and this starts with Thor taking Harris Hobbs to Asgard, a place where mortals are absolutely forbidden to go. <laughs> as, as a reminder, he's getting to go there because he kidnapped and held Thor's girlfriend captive. Like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> yeah, I think the only time we've talked about Thor recently was he, uh, my panel of the month last week was from Thor because he takes Hobbs to the distant, like uh, prehistoric past and then a weird future with Kirby showing some stuff that maybe looks like the Grinch coming out of craters on a scorched earth about to hit another planet just like one panel of insanity um and but so that was enough to scare him he went on a crazy ride but he still said like uh you know going to the past and the future isn't enough take me to Asgard and he does it just does (laughs) I really liked that panel, that that whole little sequence where he takes him on a time travel. He just, uh, he just, be, you know, Thor just becomes a vortex of time, and he takes yeah. takes this journalist with him. Yeah, and he's like, well, yeah, he's just scaring the heck out of the guy, and the, the guy's not phased. He's like, nope, take me to Asgard, want to go. <laughs> and uh, and once they get there, that's when Thor finally learns about what Loki and the Absorbing Man have been up to. Um, so uh, Thor charges into Odin's throne room just in time to see the absorbing man transform himself into one of Odin's molecular cyclones, uh, which has the power to stagger even Thor. So uh, even Odin can't shut down the absorbing man. Um, Then we have a a quick interlude um, where we go back to earth. Um, There are some Kami soldiers hunting a quote, witch doctor uh, in quote, an Asian jungle. Um, so <laughs> yeah, this, this is weird. This is very strange. This comes out of nowhere. Um, the witch doctor finds one of those, uh, Norn stones that Lo- that Thor dropped that Loki had used, uh, in issues, several issues ago. Um, he's immediately granted superhuman powers. He beats up the commies. He names himself the demon, and then he decides he's going to rule the world. Uh, and <laughs> then, uh, more on that in a future episode, uh, maybe it's not a story that has aged particularly well. So we may not go back to that one. Yeah. The witch doctors of Asia are not as common, um, as you might think, Stan. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, back in Asgard, uh, absorbing man just keeps absorbing. Um, and, uh, Loki demands Odin's scepter, uh, which Odin hands over in order to keep them from totally destroying Asgard. Uh, and then, of course, we get to the part of the story where the villain's alliance of convenience falls apart. The absorbing man, uh, he wants Odin's power for himself, so he grabs the scepter out of Loki's hands. Uh, but it doesn't grant him the power because the power was inside of Odin all along. <laughs> that was kind of a theme running through this whole story. I mean, when, when absorbing man and Thor were fighting, absorbing man kept saying, I don't understand why I can't beat you. I have all of your strength that I've absorbed plus my own strength and Thor kept saying, well, it's because you don't have the heart of a hero. Yep. And I was like, yep. that's actually pretty cool. I got to say, that's the thing that makes the most sense in all of these comics. I <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for some thread of logic or, you know, something to hang my hat on. Yeah. But I thought, I thought that was pretty cool. Plus also I, you know, absorbing man doesn't look super smart. And so, you know, if you compare, <laughs> A human strength to Thor's strength, it's like infinity equals infinity plus one. Like right. you, with your human strength plus Thor's strength, you're not actually really any stronger. You're still just as strong as Thor. Yeah. But he's just better at fighting than you because he's a god. Yes. He's done it for several thousand years. Yeah. He's got a lot of practice. And his heart is pure. Uh-huh. Yep. So, uh, Odin- ish. <laughs> pure-ish. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Odin boots them both out of Asgard and into the void of space where he says, neither the burning heat nor freezing cold of space shall stop thee. Uh, So basically the absorbing man winds up right back in outer space where Loki (laughs) found him at the start of the story, but at least he's got a traveling buddy now. (laughs) And I love this panel where they're both like covered in snow or links to frozen space. I couldn't help but think of that scene from the original Superman movie with Christopher Reeve where at the very beginning the bad guys get like caught up in this mirror and are like hurtling through space you know what I'm talking about yep, that yep. scared me when I was a kid 
Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, it's exactly the same deal. They're just hurtling through space totally helplessly, but bound to each other. (laughs) 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 It's bad enough to be hurtling through space. I got to be with you. Yeah, that's I mean, being being confined as we are in this time period, um, still being hurling through space with just one buddy does not sound any better, Um, especially. If your buddy's Loki. It, this also takes place like three minutes after they realize they cannot trust each other and actually hate each other. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> the timing is pretty great, too. Uh, so, uh, you know, everything's cool in Asgard again. Uh, Odin's back in charge. Um, Thor pulls Harris Hobbs out of some rubble. He missed the whole fight. His camera's smashed. Um, Odin tells Thor to get him out of Asgard. Uh, Thor obliges uh, so Thor brings him back to Earth and wipes his memory of Asgard when he gets there why <laughs> couldn't he have just done this from the get-go it's like a it's like Professor X like why did the X-Men even bother with this whole issue of fighting when you could just you're just gonna brain blast the guy and solve the problem at the end um, right yeah and, and also Thor has memory wiping powers too apparently he can time travel like he 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 can time travel he has you know and mostly he just flies around throwing his hammer and, you know, being pulled by it. But uh, he can control storms. He's uh, there's just not a lot Thor can't do. Yeah. It, it, and I think part of this is because I, I think Stan might have been positioning Thor to be like Marvel's version of Superman. At this point in the 60s, Superman had a new power like every month. Um He's got super breath. He's got super ventriloquism. He's got super whatever, you know, like you can just pull anything out of a hat um, and whatever power he needed that week, he now has. So I wonder if there's a little bit of, you know, like um, keeping up with the Joneses going on. Um, But yeah, so uh, so that wraps up uh, Journey into Mystery. Um, And uh, now I think the only thing we got to do here is kind of wrap up with our uh, our panels of the month, the panels that stood out to us um, from this month of comics. So, uh, Rob, would you like to take first crack at your uh, panel of the month? I sure would. And uh, this is from one of the ones where we didn't cover in our deep dive, but I'm sure we'll come back up as we cover different story arcs. But it's uh, a Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man number 32. And it is uh, just a panel of Spidey. It's page 16, panel four. It's Spidey awkwardly trying to tie the metal tentacles of Doc Ock. And it's (laughs) such a, it's just, it's like a, I think there's four panels on this page. So it's pretty big. Um, And it's really dynamic. It's really colorful. And he's, um, it's very detailed. Just all of the, the way all of the tentacles are coming in. And he's like tangled in them, but he's obviously like, trying to take control and it just feels so anxious and tense and it's a very great just Ditko doing what Ditko does uh so that one really stuck with me this month yeah how about you um well uh mine comes from uh, the issue we just talked about journey into mystery 123 um so my panel is uh from page three uh the first panel on that page um it's a half page panel um, uh, showing Thor and Hobbes on the Rainbow Bridge uh, right after Thor has transported them to Asgard. So you've got the vista of Asgard in the background, all sorts of cosmic stuff beyond it. Um, I just love all of Kirby's Asgard stuff. It's just, it hits me right in the sweet spot. Um, and especially anytime we get to see a view of the city floating in space, um, it's just, it's always awesome for me. I never get tired of it, so... Uh, so that was the panel that jumped out at me this month. I had the same one that, that jumped out at me. That was, it's my panel of the month. Ah. Is that exact same one, Brian. It's just, it is really awesome. And I think it, I, I don't know if this is a, a weird trick of my memory or not, uh-huh. but I feel like when I was learning about Norse mythology in third grade, at the same time I was getting into Thor and Marvel comics, there was a drawing in one of the books about Norse mythology that looked exactly like this like oh, wow. maybe not as many stars and moons hanging out really super close to asgard like <laughs> about to crash into it but uh, you know this rainbow bridge and this distant city with this really cool uh skyline and just sort of hanging in space and very otherworldly and um alien but also similar to the way a human city looks 
from a distance. Yeah. It's really, it's really beautifully done. And also the, the text on the page is really, it's really well written and evocative and it sets a tone and I really liked it. Yeah. Do you want to read it? As the awe-stricken human feels his senses reeling before the monumental grandeur of what he beholds, there is, there can be no thought of picture taking, no thought of anything save the numbing wonderment which fills his soul. And then Thor says, and you can see his body language, see Harris Hobbs's body language. He's totally awestruck, even though you only see him from behind and above. And he's this little guy. And Thor says, walk now, walk you now at my side, mortal, with slow and measured tread. So even though Harris isn't supposed to be there, even though the whole thing's in danger, even though this whole thing is crazy, Thor gets how awesome and inspiring this is going to be for this mortal. And he wants the mortal to take a second and just sort of absorb <laughs> how cool this is. I liked it. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is so terrific. Fun. I'm so happy you were able to do this. Yeah. I Thank you, Dave. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And thank you to everyone who's listening to this. Thank you for being a part of our book club. Um, if you uh, have any feedback uh, on the episode or uh, any questions you want to ask or any suggestions for things we should cover uh, in upcoming episodes, drop us a line, marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Uh, our forever home on the internet is marvelbythemonth.com, and uh, that has links to all of our social pages. Uh, we've got a really um, decent-sized following on Facebook now. Our Instagram feed is always a lot of fun, um, so definitely check that out. Um, and, uh, oh, hit, hit the, uh, website up, um, get yourself a stay inside and read comics t-shirt. Um, it's a lovely illustration by Mr. Rob Milne. Yeah, it was, it's one of my favorite works that I've done and I've done a few as I was humble bragging, you know, at the start of this about all of my amazing talents. <laughs> um, uh, no, this is a, it's definitely a Kirby homage and, uh, um, yeah, one of the funnest things I've illustrated. So I'm very proud of it. Yeah. And one of my favorite things is uh, as people have been ordering them and receiving them, um, they've been posting photos of themselves and tagging us in the photos on Instagram. Um, and uh, everyone has been very generous about allowing us to share those uh, with the larger crew of folks on our feed. So um, if you get a shirt, snap a photo, tag us in it. Uh, we'd love to share it. Um, so I think that's pretty much it. Until next week, uh, I'm Brian Stratton. And I'm Rob Milne. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay inside and read comics. <laughs> <laughs>